If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. We hope today's conversation will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am uh, Vice President here at Autism Spectrum Therapies. We're an uh, ABA provider, Applied Behavior Analysis, and we provide services across the country. Uh, I myself am a BCBA, or Board Certified Behavior Analyst. Um, you know, the, I've been really excited. We've been, we've been able to do this show now for, I think, a little over three years, which is, which is pretty crazy because I think when we first started off, I was like, ah, you know, maybe people will listen to this and maybe we'll stick around for a couple of months and do this. Um, but I think we've been really able to do something, I don't know, something a little bit bigger than that, something a little bit uh, different. And I, I, I was talking about our show to um, a colleague recently at the California ABA conference or Calaba. And, you know, we were talking about this show and what we do, and, and he was surprised. He he hadn't heard of heard of it yet, um, and he had been trying to do some search for different autism podcasts and and shows out there. And he was really impressed that we were able to have such a therapeutic view to this. And um, and I was telling him that you know that that's certainly a big part of it because you know, I myself am a BCBA and, and an ABA person. But the show is, is, is more than that. You know, we, we want to have great professionals on the show. You know, I'm, I'm, and I'm always impressed myself about, you know, the different people who come on the show. You know, some of them are ABA people. You know, we, we've had Jim Ball on. We've had the Mark Durand on. Um, we've had uh, so many great BCBAs, and, and I'm leaving tons of them out, I know, um, to share their perspective, but we've even been able to get, I think what I'm even more excited about are other professionals, speech pathologists, occupational therapists. I love it when we can get licensed psychologists on to hear more about that diagnostic point of view, because we've been able to really talk about the therapies and support on a broader level, because we know our kids aren't getting one therapy and that's it. It's generally a team approach. And yes, there's specific approaches that make up that team, but it's so much broader. And we've been able to represent that. I think it's been great that we've been able to have parents and parent groups and, and advocacy groups um, talking to people like Areva Martin about some of the, the legal, legislative, and, and advocacy points of what are happening in California and what her organization does, as well as uh, so many other different advocates and, and, and resource groups. I think that's important. It gives us so much more of a sense of community. Um, but I think one of the things that we, we strove to do that has really exceeded my expectations is we've been talking to people on the spectrum themselves. We've been hearing firsthand accounts. And, you know, some of you guys probably remember me talking once upon a time. You know, I'm, I'm, I was a history major. I, w I was a history nerd once upon a time. And, and I remember being in my history classes and, and our professors talking about that firsthand account is just the most valuable. You understand what a person is going through, what is happening in their world. And that view of, of history is amazing. Well, I feel the same way about 
these firsthand accounts about our community, our experiences, and, and who better to tell us that than individuals on the spectrum. Um, there's a lot of great individuals we've had. We've had such diverse experiences, commentaries, um, you know, recounts of stories from individuals who people didn't think were going to be able to be as successful as they ended up being. Some of them are, you know, nonverbal using voice output devices. Some of them have, you know, spoken from the, for themselves in their own words. Um, and today's going to be another one of those accounts. Um, you know, I'm really, really excited that uh, we have Temple Grandin back on the show. And you guys probably heard her the first time. Um, and, and I know so many of you have gone to see Temple in your community when she comes to town. Um, but she's she really represents just such a, a sense of hope, I think, to the community, to all of us of what is possible. And she's just embraced this leadership role and this this just presence in our community that I, I know has taken us a, a really long way. So I am so excited to have her here on the show with us. Temple is one of the world's most accomplished and well-known adults with autism. She has a PhD in animal science from the University of Illinois and is a professor at Colorado State University. She's the author of six books, including the national bestsellers, Thinking in Pictures and Animals in Translation. Dr. Grandin is a past member of the Board of Directors of the Autism Society of America, and she also lectures to parents, teachers, all throughout the world um, on her experiences with autism, and her work has been covered in the New York Times, People Magazine, National Public Radio, and 2020. Most recently, she was named one of Time Magazine's most, uh, 100 Most Influential People um, and has an HBO movie based on her life starring Claire Danes. Uh, Temple, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Um, I have always wondered, and, and I'm always kind of curious, you are one of the, the most active people I see out there. I mean, you, you always seem to be different places, speaking to different audiences. I think I've seen you speak personally in three different states now. Um, it's got to be exhausting. What keeps you motivated to be in all these different cities at all these different conferences answering questions and, and sharing your story? Well, I think what motivates me is when a parent come up to me and they say, well, you know, uh, my book helped their kid go to college or something. I talked to them at a, at a conference. So I really made a difference. So I, uh, you know, sometimes the travel gets tiring. I do yeah. try to avoid red eyes and things like that. But uh, I, I think that it's I've helped a lot of people out, and I get similar um enjoyment in my cattle things. I've signed something and somebody says it works well, that yeah. makes me happy. Yeah, are you seeing, I'm curious, I know you've been, you've been speaking for a long time now, you've, you've written all these different books. Um, are you finding that parents are coming to you with, um, right now, like a, a consistent question? Is there, are there certain themes or questions that keep coming up as you've been speaking lately? Well, there's always certain things that keep coming up, like, yeah. um, one thing about early intervention that always comes up, and mm-hmm. I tell parents, and I, this I can give a standard answer. If you have mm-hmm. a three-year-old that's not talking, the absolute worst thing you could do is to do nothing. You've got to get this kid into early intervention, where you get about 20 hours a week of one-on-ones with an effective teacher who gets yeah. speech going. And then I get asked, well, "What if there's no services?" I say, "Go yeah. to a church group or whatever. Get grandmothers to work with a child." 
teach them how to take turns, start teaching them words, sing nursery rhymes with them. You've got to work with them. You can't just do nothing. And I get asked a lot about sensory issues. So I'm, mm. My kid uh, throws a fit every time he goes to Walmart. Well, that's sensory overload. And it can be very variable. Um, some kids have a lot of trouble with sound sensitivity. Others have problems with, um, you know, visual, too much visual stimulation, um, sensitivity. Sensory issues are very, very variable. And oftentimes a kid can be desensitized if he initiates the dreaded sound. For example, like microphone feedback screeching. Hmm. Well, that's one of the worst. Because they see a microphone and they run away screaming because they're afraid it's going to squeal. So then give the kid the wireless mic and let him walk to the speaker. And then when he goes, eh, he can then back off. Oftentimes, hmm. horrible sounds can be better tolerated if a child initiates it, initiates it and controls it. I mean, this idea of control, I, I, just listening to you enough times and speaking to you before, it feels like the idea of shared control, the, uh, the child having some control in everything is a big part of, of what you're preaching and you're believing in terms of like therapy, not just parents or, or professionals telling the kid, do this and do this all the time. Well, one of the things that I think really helped me a lot is old-fashioned methods of parenting. And um, one thing in 50s-style parenting was there's no screaming and yelling. You know, you use teachable moments. And, and these teachable moments, uh, the clerks in the stores would correct the kid. The next-door neighbors would correct the kid. Because the only way an autistic kid's going to learn social skills is you've got to be taught. So if mm-hmm. I stick my finger in the mashed potatoes, instead of screaming no, mother would say, use the fork. Mm-hmm. You just give the instruction. You know, rather than saying no. Mm-hmm. Another mistake that's getting made is parents always talking for the kid. You've got to get mm-hmm. the kid talking for himself. I'm seeing too many kids that aren't being taught how to shake hands. And you've got to just demonstrate the correct distance, how much pressure, how you shake hands. I'll give you another little tip. Yeah. The brain kind of moves slowly in these kids, and you've got to give them time to respond. You want them to use their words, but they've got to have time to respond. Tendency for the teachers and the grown-ups to just talk too quickly for the kids. Give them a chance mm-hmm. to respond. Always encourage them to use their words. Yeah, it's almost like we as society is moving so fast right now, and our attention spans are so short. We're probably moving way too fast for these kids with autism who maybe need that five-second lag to process everything that's just said or happening. Well, you need to give them time to respond. I can remember being so frustrated when I was five years old in kindergarten. We had a little workbook where I Mm -hmm. had to mark the pictures of all the things that began like B as in boy. And Mm -hmm. one of the pictures was a suitcase. So I marked it for B as in bag. And the teacher just said, it's a suitcase, it's wrong. And they did not give me time to explain that in our house they're called bags. Yeah. And I understood the concept of the, of the letter B. Mm-hmm. I wasn't given time to respond and explain it. You know, you mentioned the social skills of, you know, being of, you know, of the 50s and the different teaching methods. And, and I actually saw you, you wrote something up about this, about how, um, you know, how to use those 50s methods and how that worked for you. I'm almost wondering, like, do you almost feel like we should kind of go back to, like, back then, didn't we used to have cotillion classes and different things like that where you learned etiquette and that's social etiquette? Autistic kids need this. 
Yeah. You see, the social, some social circuits are missing. The normal kids can muddle through it. But they've yeah. got to be taught social skills in a much more structured way. It's like teaching an actor how to be a character in a play. It's like coaching somebody on how to behave in a foreign country. Yeah. Like if you're in the Middle East, you never show the bottom of your foot because that's like the rudest, most awful thing you can do. Mm-hmm. But somebody has to tell you that you don't show the bottom of your foot in the Middle East. Yeah, and for me, like it almost sounds like sports. You run a specific play, and if we run this play the right way, we're going to have this great result. If you break That's it down right. to these are the rules of this play, it That's you'll right. get to that social success. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And um, they have to just be taught. And all kids were taught. Then I'd go over to the next-door neighbor's house, and uh-huh. Mrs. Culver, she would correct me. I remember one time I cut all my meat up first, and Mrs. Culver says, you cut one piece off at a time. Mm-hmm. So the next-door neighbors also corrected. I mean, I'm just curious. Was that, was that intimidating for you, or was that ultimately no, like a really great thing? that was normal. Yeah. That was normal. That's the way all the kids were brought up. That's the way every kid was taught in the 50s, you know, manners and things mm-hmm. like that. Because I can think of kids I went to school with that I know are on the spectrum that all grew up and got jobs. And I'm always getting mm-hmm. asked all the time, has autism increased? On the fully verbal end of the spectrum where they have, you know, they attain normal language, I think most of it's increased diagnosis because before Mm -hmm. it was just geeks and nerds because they got that old-fashioned 50s teachable moments method of teaching social skills. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it makes perfect sense. We are seeing a lot of adults now. I mean, I, I hear people, employers, saying, give us more education. We think we have people on the spectrum working here when we want to support them better. So what you're saying makes perfect sense. You've just got to train them. Okay, like let's say you want to train a 12-year-old to be a a volunteer tour guide at the science Mm -hmm. museum. You have to Mm -hmm. teach him how to approach a visitor, how close you get to the visitor. Maybe you only approach them twice, and then if they're not interested, you back off. Mm -hmm. Correct distance to stand from a visitor. You might say, now watch Susie over there, how she approaches visitors. Now copy the way Susie does. That's the way you teach them. I, I know, you know, we, we talked right before the show, and I, I know you've spoken a lot about let's encourage kids to focus in on the things they love, their passions. And this feels like a perfect segue and carryover is if someone really loves art, you can use a trip to the art museum to teach exactly. social skills. You could, if someone really loves computers, we can do a, a computer club to work and teach these That's social right. skills as well as maybe teach some life skills around it. Well, I also, uh, my ability in art was always encouraged. These kids have uneven skills. Build on the area of strength. Mm -hmm. Art was my area of strength. The work I did a lot in designing cattle handling facilities, that's actually a field called industrial design. Mm -hmm. You see, when you make an iPhone, Steve Jobs and the artists at Apple were industrial designers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then engineers have to make the inside of the phone work. That's the two different kinds of minds working together. You know, build on the strength. If you've got a fourth grader that's super good at math, move them ahead in math. Mm-hmm. But the kid may need some special ed with reading. Do you ever have parents say, well, if I focus all on, let's say the kid's great at math, if, if I spend all my time working on math, won't he not learn these other things? You know, do you ever get that question? Well, I'm not that... suggesting that we totally neglect reading. Yeah. But there's a tendency to pound away on the deficit and not do anything to enhance yeah. the thing that the child is good at. 
And this is mm-hmm. one of the things I really discuss in my book, The Autistic Brain, is mm-hmm. the art kind of minds, the mathematical minds, and the word minds. You know, I, it, it feels almost like, do, do you think sometimes um, we focus on the negatives because we just don't yet have enough success stories like yourself? Like you're this... You're a great success story and an inspiration. Well, I know other success, undiagnosed success stories. I've seen them all over Silicon Valley. I've been to many companies in Silicon (laughs) Valley, and I tell you, there's autism all over it. But then when you talk to the human resource lady, she'll go, oh, we know they're on the spectrum, but we don't talk about that. Mm. And and in work that I've done on on design in the meat industry, I've I've worked with people in skilled trades that I know are on the spectrum. I know a guy who owns a gigantic metal fabrication company. He's on the spectrum, undiagnosed. He's a guy about 10 years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, just, it feels like it's almost as we get more and more success stories, and it, it feels like the more hope we can build, the more success we can build. I wonder if that gives parents more confidence to say, Well, there's a know, lot of... A lot of success stories, and unfortunately, um, you know, people in Silicon Valley used to avoid the labels like plague. Mm-hmm. There's also great educational things online. Uh, recently, I was at the MIT Media Lab, and they were showing me a really cool um, children's programming language called Scratch. You know, okay. like a cat scratch. And yeah. you can look it up online. It's free. Uh, okay. from Mathematica is another fun site. There's free programming classes online. Oh, the Internet's got all kinds of wonderful, wonderful stuff online. Uh, there's a lot of rubbish online, but there's also a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. You know, I know we've talked before, and, and, and a big part that you've talked about is, you know, um, back once upon a time, you know, when, when you were a kid, even when I was a kid, you know, we, we spent all of our days outside. You come home from school, you run yeah. outside, you're out there, you're socializing. You know, today we see a lot more kids inside, on their computers, on the video games, in front oh, of the Oh, we're going to have to pull these kids off. we got to pull these kids off these computers and off these video games. That needs to be limited to an hour a day. When I grew up, mm. TV was one hour on weeknights and two hours a day on Saturday and Sunday. You've got to limit that. And um, I've seen some, you know, we've got to have, get kids outside doing stuff, get kids making stuff. And, and I'm seeing too many smart kids getting addicted to video games, and they're not doing anything else. If they were going yeah. in to become a video game programmer, that'd be fine, but that's not what's happening to them. Yeah. The other you thing know, I, these kids have got to learn is they've got to learn working skills. That needs to start in middle school with paper route substitutes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel like everyone had a job at like 14, 15 in my town. It's just kind of what you did. When I was 15, I cleaned horse stalls every day. Wow. And it taught you discipline, I'm sure. It, that's right. That's right. There's a responsibility. I was proud of the fact that I basically was running the horse barn. So we got to figure out other things that a child could do. Okay, maybe they're you know a member of a big church, and Thursday night there's a church social. So this 12-year-old can set up all the chairs, set them up nice and straight, and then at the end of the evening he's got to put them all away again. Yeah. And he's going to be proud that he's the chairperson. It can be yeah, something I, that simple. Yeah, because I was just going to ask you, you know, I'm sure there's got to be a lot of parents who say, well, but I don't know someone who wants to give my child a job, or my child has these limitations. How are they supposed to do this? Oh, but it, well, I just, um, okay, can your child talk? Can your child walk? I mean, this is where uh, what I'm seeing today, and I think with some young parents today, they haven't done enough hands-on things. Yeah. And I think hands-on, 
classes teach resourcefulness, you know, things like mm-hmm. woodworking, sewing, cooking, home ec, uh, mm. a welding class, stuff like that. Art classes teach uh, kind of a resourcefulness. And mm-hmm. you just got, I find I talk to a lot of these parents and I ask them what their jobs are, where they live. I can usually figure out a job for their, for their kid. You know, somebody that has a dairy next door, maybe he can feed calves. Mm-hmm. Or somebody else has got a little ice cream shop. He can go down there Saturday afternoon and scoop some ice cream. Uh-huh. I, I, I know there's a, a great job that we found is um, in, the, in the small town of Massachusetts where I was living at the time. Um, one of our students, uh, again, job training, 1516, the local um, senior citizen center where it was a yeah. nursing home, he delivered newspapers every day. Good. So he would come in, Good. and he actually, what was great is, these senior citizens didn't always have family coming every day. Sometimes it was just nice to have a conversation. So he got his job skills, and then he could go and talk to the residents and work on social skills as well. And I bet there's a lot of places like that. Yeah, You just have to figure out those kind of things that that are in the neighborhood. And I think it's important to get something that's on a schedule that's Mm -hmm. outside the home. It, it feels like listening to you, getting outside the home is critical. It's, it's, I think it's the very step critical. outside the shelter and get out in the That's real right. world. I, I think about what you said at the beginning of the show is if a parent doesn't have services, you know, sing the songs, work on these skills, work on language, let's get grandma involved, let's, let's do all these things. And I, just listening to you now, it almost feels like, if a parent is getting involved, even if they have therapy, it'll be easier to work on things like shopping at the market. It'll be easier to be participating in these different jobs or helping them set up these jobs because it just feels like you'll know your kid a little bit better. You'll, you'll know well, the their strengths that they're a little better. It's important uh-huh. for parents to talk to kids. Okay, so let's say you go grocery shopping with a kid. Yeah. And um, you can say something, well, we're going to get some Cheerios because Daddy really likes Cheerios and he likes to put bananas on them. Uh-huh. It can be things that simple that you talk to the, you know, the all little kids when you're shopping to help them learn language. Yeah. And it, I, I'm sure there's a lot of parents who say, well, my kid doesn't talk. But it, it feels like that's even the more most important time to talk to your kid. It's, okay, great. How are they going to get language? By listening to you, by, by learning from you. Well, there's some kids where, you know, you start getting a few words. Let's say the child just knows a few words. Let's start with mm-hmm. some food items. And he uh-huh. knows a few words, like cereal maybe. And and you always want to encourage him to use the words. So it's breakfast time, and you're getting the cereal out, and then you, you encourage him to say cereal, and then you uh-huh. give it to him. Um, you've got to wait for them to respond. Another tip is slow down when you talk to these kids. Slow mm-hmm. down and enunciate the hard consonant sounds. My speech teacher would say, uh, like, let's say a word like cup. She'd say cup, and then she'd go cup, and she'd go back and forth between saying it slowly, enunciating the hard consonants, and saying it fast. So I could hear those hard consonants. Yeah. As we were preparing for our conversation today, me and my friend Christina were talking about just you and your presence and, and just how you really feel like you represent so much to the community. You represent so much hope, a sense of like, Hey, you know, my kid can do this. We can do this. I've got someone here giving me like firsthand advice and I, and we value that. Um, 
but I'm sure you must meet so many people who have amazing messages, amazing tips that maybe we don't hear every day. A, real, a really good friend of mine, Stephen Shore, and he is now a special education professor at a university. And when he went to college, um, he, he ran a bicycle shop in his dorm room and was really resourceful, and wow. he's been really successful. There's another lady named Anita Lesko. She's mm-hmm. a nurse anesthesiologist, and she does brain surgery anesthesia, the hard wow. stuff. This book's called Different, Not Less. Uh-huh. And Stephen and Anita tell their own stories in this book. This is 14 old Asperger's that got diagnosed later in life that all have jobs. They've all supported themselves because they had relationship issues. And that's where diagnosis mm-hmm. was helpful. It's called Different, Not Less. Uh, and you can pick it up on Amazon. So um, you just said something I find really interesting is, you know, hoping you can expand. They had the diagnosis was helpful because they had relationship issues. You know, how, yeah, and they how got so, diagnosed at a later age. These are, these are employed people. Uh-huh. And they got diagnosed at a later age because their marriage was having problems. Um, mm. they, they couldn't understand why they had so many relationship issues. And then understanding about the diagnosis actually helped them on relationship issues. But I see with on the job front and the college front and things like that, I'm seeing too many ki- younger kids getting overprotected and, and not being taught basic skills. You know, poor little Tommy's got autism, so we'll order his hamburger for him. I go, no, he's got to mm-hmm. walk up to the counter at McDonald's and order themselves. Mhm. Yeah, there's not enough I mean you, you mentioned college and I know we've we've tried to we've spoken to one or two programs, but there really are not a lot of programs to even let the child maybe they do order for themselves, but how do we get these kids ready for college when mom is not around, dad is not around and you're truly taking care of yourself? It it feels like a, a giant leap for Well a one lot of the, the kids. things um, when I was like eight, seven and eight years old and my mother had a party my sister and I had to be party hostesses and greet the guests and shake hands with them and serve the snacks. That taught social skills. In fact, a lot of kids did that in the 50s. You know, so you'd learn how to talk to the grown-ups. And, yes, and her, my mother's friends were, it was Mr. and Mrs. Tausig. They didn't use their first names. It right. was Mr. and Mrs. Wood. We didn't dare call them Holty and Beezy. <laughs> right, right. We knew those names, and we weren't allowed to use them. Yeah, it it sounds very much like my childhood too. It's you knew the name, but you didn't dare. It was not the you thing you said. You didn't dare. I didn't dare call Mrs. Wood Vivi. I did not dare. Yeah, I made that mistake <laughs> once. I made it once, and I never made it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's these types of things. I mean, I, I think it's kind of interesting that we're talking about when you were a kid, when I was a kid and these differences, I mean, you and I, you know, there's a bit of an age gap between us, but a lot of your experiences are my experiences. And I think it's very interesting how we're looking back at what was it like when we were younger and how different it is now. And um, I think that some of the kids now, the autistic kids now and mild yeah. autism now mm-hmm. are, are having more problems than the mildly autistic kids of my generation because they aren't taught those social skills in the same structured way. Yeah. Do you think it is, I'm curious, do you think it's because of just how we're teaching it or is it, do you think the expectations, you talked about your neighbor, the neighbor, that parent had the same expectation that your mother did, that your other neighbor did. 
are we too lenient? Are we too loose in terms of our expectations? Well, I think, I think this sort of lack of structure really hurts the kid where some of the social circuits are missing. Yeah. Um, you know, in the 50s, store clerks corrected kids. The next-door mm-hmm. neighbors corrected kids. You know, if I went in Miss Edson's toy store and touched something, oh, man, you didn't, that's a Miss Edson. Yeah. She had gold chains hanging off her glasses, and you didn't touch anything in Edson's toy store. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, grown-ups corrected children in many, many yeah. different places. Yeah, it's, we just, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm listening to you, and it just feels like, I, I think, for some reason, I'm thinking of an IEP team. I'm thinking about the parent going to their IEP, and... You have this community of people sitting around the table, and if all of them aren't consistent, and then if you and then you expand right. the community to the neighbors and the parents, or sorry, the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and the friends, and you know, yes, you can't get everyone in in your town consistent, but can you get the fifty people that see this kid the most on the same page? Well, you, we have to do extra work in order to recreate that. Because yeah. the other thing is, mother. Mother and the school and the head teacher at the elementary school work together. And the yeah. absolute consistent rules between home and school, a temper tantrum was no television for one night. That was the rule. And they yeah. never screamed at me and said, well, we got to take the TV away when I'm chucking and throwing this great big, huge, big one yeah. in my room. And then after I got all nice and calm, she'd say, you can join the family now, but you know the rules. There'll be no yeah. television tonight. Well, I'm even thinking too. You know, when I was younger, um, and I was I was working with a, a young man, our local McDonald's knew us. Now we didn't; they didn't know anything about us. But the local, the kids at the McDonald's knew, and they were prompting my student exactly like you're saying. They were correcting. That's no, right. You know, That's- you're supposed to order this way. No, and these are 15 to 18 year olds who instinctually knew, oh, we get it. You're supposed to do it. But it's because we went there all the time. We developed a relationship with them. And it feels like it actually isn't that hard if we just kind of set up the right. No, we have, we have to work on recreating this. And oh, I talked yeah. to one mom, her daughter, her daughter was working at McDonald's and, mm-hmm. and uh, mother and the McDonald's manager were, were like working together and when awesome. her daughter was bad, she mysteriously had to clean the ice cream machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm sure, though, it's, you know, it, you know, obviously that doesn't work for every single person, but it's like this mother no. and this store manager are like creating a relationship, a connection to That's one another. Right. And that's going to help right. this kid so much more. Well, that's exactly right. You see, and I, I lived in a little close-knit neighborhood in the 50s. There was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like 10 houses on this little circular drive, and everybody knew each other, and and uh, all the parents worked together. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, and it feels like I know where we're, the world's getting bigger, but I, I think about my, you know, I live here in Los Angeles. I live in a pretty busy part of Los Angeles, but my little street you know, everyone knows each other and everyone kind of looks right. out for one another. And yeah, it's a busy city street, but we still have that dynamic. So it's, I don't think it has to be a big town or a small town to create what you're talking no. about. Well, I find that when I talk to parents, um, I, you know, I just start talking to them about things they could do. I start asking about what's in the, what's in the neighborhood. And it turns out there's a farm oh. next door 
or uh, somebody has a little um, real estate agency or something next door, the kid could come in and do some office work in that. Mm-hmm. You know, you just sort of figure out what's there in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, you mentioned, we, we've been talking about this, um, and, and, you know, I'm kind of curious. Um, it's a topic that's been coming up a lot on our show, and, and just listening to it reminded me. Um, I know there's a lot of parents who sometimes uh, don't always know, should I share that my child has autism? Am I going to be more secretive about this? Am I, who should I tell this to? Do you ever get that question, and do you ever have advice? I get that question, and if things are going well, then I mm-hmm. wouldn't uh, tell them. You know, if things are going badly, oh. I mean, I'm kind of going to get more situation-specific on that. Um, the kids are sure. doing absolutely great Boy Scouts, you know, or something like that. Instead of telling them about autism, I might say, well, he sometimes has trouble with sound sensitivity. In other words, I might just tell about some specific thing. You know, that if you're going to be yeah. setting off firecrackers or something like that, um, maybe my son isn't going to want to do that. Before you mentioned um, give it a delay, you know, kids needing some delay. And I know you've always said you're a very visual learner. Visuals really help you. Um, it, whether it be for you or in general as a tip, do you still feel like if I present a picture – to a child with autism, if I'm presenting that visual as as excuse well, do you still feel like that pause is as important as when if, if I'm just explaining something verbally? Well, the verbal probably requires more of a pause. But the thing, the big mistake that teachers and parents make is they give the answer too quickly. They they do not give mm-hmm. the child enough time to respond. But mm-hmm. think of it this way: the wheels turn slowly in his brain. Give them time to respond. Always encourage them to use their words. You you might have to wait five seconds for him to respond. Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I figured, too, because you have to look at something, then you've got to think about the words, then you've got to get those words out. It probably still takes that extra time that you were talking about. That's right. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. It was great talking to you. Um, I, I'm, I really appreciate just all the tips, um, and, and particularly love hearing the different names, different, not less. And I'm, and I think that's a really cool book for, for people out there to read because it's a, a different perspective. Now that's a good book on older kids. And then I have a book called the way I see it. That's okay. a lot of little short chapters. That's really good for parents of, and teachers of little kids. Okay. Any other, you know, I'm sure the most, the, kind of final, I guess, question or recommendation from you is um, we got parents out there, they, they love resources, they want resources. If they want to um, either like, find a resources of what Temple's up to and how I can maybe hear where Temple is, what she's saying, what she's doing, or even just other things that they should look for online. Well, I have some, some stuff on my website, uh, templegrandon.com. I also would strongly recommend to parents to join local support groups because mm-hmm. there's no way that I can know what's available in your area. Talk to other parents. Talk to teachers in the area. I'm a big believer in local support groups. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was awesome talking to you today, um, and I hope to talk to you again. Okay, great to talk to you. Thanks, Temple. Take care. You're welcome. Bye. Wow, it's so great to have Temple on the show. Um, 
you know, every time she's here, every time I hear her, I feel like I get like a new morsel, a new, a new thought to kind of to chew on and think about. And, you know, today's no different. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm right now in Los Angeles and, you know, I, and I hear Temple talk a lot about um, experiences or, or questions she gets or, or comments from parents. Um, you know, and, and today's no different where she'll reference um, the farm nearby or like the, the little shop nearby or the community church. And, you know, for me, that, that hasn't always resonated because I live in L.A. Um, and it reminds me of these small towns that I, that I used to live in, you know, a little bit like where I grew up because I, I grew up in a small town in New York and, and spent some, quite a bit of time in some small towns in New England before ending up here. And um, I, it, it just finally occurred to me today that, you know, it's so great that she says that because it may not resonate to me, but I live in L.A. There's lots of services. There's lots of BCBAs. There's probably more BCBAs in L.A. than, than anywhere in the state, if, if maybe not even the country. If you live in Chicago, it's probably similar. If you live in New York, it's probably similar. But what we hear from everyone is, I live in this more remote area. There are not choices for me. I live in this area. There's one BCBA within 30 miles of me. So when I hear these stories, like it hit me today. Like, well, of course, this is like the perfect advice for the perfect community. Like this is more realistic. Yes, it may not resonate to me, but it really probably resonates more to just a different section of our, of our country, of our, of our geography, um, where, you know, everything just isn't in the middle of the city. And so, you know, as I said, it just kind of gives me kind of a different perspective and, and, and a good reminder of, you know, we all are coming from these different perspectives, these different communities, these different walks of life. And we kind of have to be able to be flexible and be nimble to, to support one another. Well, I know you guys enjoy listening to the temple. Love to hear your feedback. Love to hear your suggestions. I know I asked her for different people who have been inspiring her, who she listens to, but we'd love to hear from you guys as well uh, because you never know. Maybe they even want to come and share their story here with, with other people or, or their ideas or perspectives. So if you've got those or, or other things for us, email us. More info at autismtherapies.com. Hope you have a fabulous week, fabulous weekend, and we'll talk to you next time. Take care, everyone. Hope you have enjoyed today's episode. Please join us each week for a new episode or visit our archive to listen to and download previous shows. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.